Thank you, Lord, that you're, you're with us. Lord, we, it's because of you that we all come together here today, Lord, that outside of you, none of us would be here. We just thank you for the table you've prepared for us, Lord. We thank you for the life that you've served us with. We thank you that you've drawn near to us to lift the heavy weight of sin and death off of our shoulders, Lord. And we just come today, come together today to, to just partake with you in your salvation, to partake with you in your life. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you open our eyes, the eyes of our understanding, that we could see um, what healing's all about, that we could see the power behind the healings, that we could find ourselves caught up with you and having intimacy with the power behind that which heals. We thank you, Lord, that anything crooked regarding healing will be made straight in the next several weeks, Lord. We just commit our desire to, to understand what this is all about into your hands. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. So we'll, we'll be looking at healing the next couple of weeks, and, and we'll look at what it means that Jesus healed the sick. Like, what does it even mean? Right? Why did he do that? What's it talking about? What's it trying to point to? What is it trying to minister to us? Was it just like for the sake of healing that he did that? Right? Or was it something greater than just the healing that happened? Is there a testimony? Is there a ministry that he's trying to serve us with by doing that? So we'll look at that. We'll look at the role healing plays in all of our lives and in the gospel, right? Because, I mean, in, in all my years in Christianity, one of the things I find tosses people to and fro the most is healing, right? You, you see, that can really wreak havoc on somebody. And so we'll talk about the role healing plays in our lives, the role healing plays in the gospel. We'll, we'll look at how we engage with God and how the gospel ministers to us. Should we find ourselves in the place where we're suffering with some physical infirmity? How does the gospel minister to us in that place? How are we engaging with God should we find ourselves in that place? Because believe it or not, the, the healings Jesus performed are actually declaring something about that right, about how you would engage with God in that place and how you would be ministered to. We're, we're, we're going to talk about um, how gifts of healing and the idea of healing has been corrupted, right? Because, listen, anything that's good, at the beginning, Satan wants to come in and corrupt it, right? He doesn't come and corrupt things that are already evil. He tries to corrupt things in people's hearts that are good. And so we'll talk about how healing can even get corrupted in the body of Christ, and what that looks like, right? Because you don't want to be engaging with healing from a corrupt foundation, right? Because if you're engaging with healing from the foundation of the knowledge of good and evil, something that's good could actually minister death and torment to you, right? Like if you're walking around feeling tormented because you hadn't seen some physical healing manifest, that means you're not looking at it right, right? Because there's no torment in God. There's, the scripture says there's no fear in God because fear has torment, right? And so we'll, we'll, we'll put the whole thing straight. We'll let the whole thing be made straight. And then maybe the last day we'll talk about what is divine health even? Have any of you guys ever heard that? Divine health. You've got to walk in divine health. Some of you have been from different strains of Christianity. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you haven't heard that. We'll take a look at, at what is divine health and, and what is wholeness. What is the wholeness that comes from the body and blood of Jesus? Right? And so we'll look at all those things. And so we're going to try to uncover every stone between this and the Bible studies. If you can't be at all the Bible studies, they'll all be posted on YouTube. Right? And I forgot in the beginning, but one of the YouTube channels is Jay Jenkins. Jay Jenkins is where you'll find the Wednesday night Bible study. I, I try and add them to the playlist on, on the Gospel Revolution Church channel, but go to Jay Jenkins and subscribe, because you'll find the Wednesday night Bible studies posted there. So is it okay if we do that? Is it okay if we do that for the next few weeks? I'm not here to force anything on you, right? But listen, like I said, y'all have the Holy Spirit too. And so as we sit together in the Bible studies, the Holy Spirit will fill out the picture for all of us. It's a body. It's not a preacher. The church isn't a preacher. The church is the body, right? So it's not about the preacher. It's about the body. And so we'll let God minister to us through Jesus, and then each joint will supply one another, right? Glory to God. Um, we'll read a bunch of verses. Um, we'll start with Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. What's the video look like? Is it zooming in and out? 
So no blur, but some stagger still. Still some stagger. Well, that, that's trying to tell you that's a problem. <laughs> okay, let's see. Can we stop and start this again? Do you know? I think it's really new. Is anybody complaining about the video? No. Video blacked out. You did something, huh? No, I didn't do anything. It says it's back on now. It still shows green. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me if, if anyone starts complaining about the video. Will you just ask if the video is working? And then we'll see. <laughs> All right. Glory to God. Um, Matthew chapter 4. Did you, do you, what do you see, Jay? Oh, no, no. I thought you were looking up the video on your phone to see how it was working. I know exactly what the problem is. I switched the encoder because the NVIDIA, NVIDIA card is old. And so I switched to the, the computer, but it's using the computer CPU. And so now that's putting a big strain, right? Yeah, but I have to stop the video to change it. So we're just going to go with it. Um, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Right? One of the first things we have is we tend to have our own idea of what sickness is. And we tend to only define it as what we might call an injury or like a a cancer or a heart problem. That tends to be the only way we define sickness. That's not the way the scripture defines sickness or uh, to be healed. That's not the only kind of healing that the scripture talks about when it talks about healing. It says he went around healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. So if he says all manner, that means there's more than just one thing, right? So there's all manner of healings mentioned in the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul goes through the gifts of the Spirit, he calls it the gifts, plural, of healings, plural. The gifts of healings. Okay? That's what he calls it. And so just to give you a a quick rundown of what some of the healings can be, your heart can be healed from, if your heart is healed from fear, If you're filled with fear and your heart's purified from here, fear, that's a healing, right? There's deliverance from unclean spirits in the the scriptures, right? I know that there's, just real quick, I know there's a lot of teaching out there that says that believers could have unclean spirits or that believers could have demons in them. That's not true, okay? A believer cannot have a demon in them. They cannot be possessed by a demon because they're the temple of God. And the Holy Spirit is dwelling in the temple to keep the house. Well, then someone might say, well, how can a a believer or a Christian then be found to be doing this kind of a thing? Right? Because you could see some some believers, real believers, like have a moment of weakness, and we call it falling from grace. Well, how could they have that if it's not a demon? Listen, there's some veins of Christianity where everything's a demon. Right. You guys might think that's surprising, but I've been in some churches where we would have stopped the service because there's a demon back there in that technology. And we need to go lay hands on the technology and get rid of the demons. Right. And we're not making fun of the people. I'm making fun of myself. Right. But there's not a demon under every stone. And so if you find a believer that's in a place where they're doing something that you don't think is consistent with the fruit of the spirit, they could be believing a lie and they could be being tormented by something. 
that's tempting them to try to give life to themselves. And out of that, now the works of the flesh could come forth. Okay? So it's not some boogeyman, right? In, in Galatians 5, Paul talked about walking after the flesh. He didn't say they were demonized. He said, you're walking after the flesh, and this is the works that come out of the flesh should you be looking to your own flesh to try to produce life, right? Intimacy with your own strength for life will also produce fruit. And you know the kind of fruit it will produce? The works of the flesh, okay? That doesn't mean everybody has a demon, okay? So don't let anybody tell you you have a demon and you need some deliverance, right? The world is tossed to and fro constantly with every wind of doctrine. And what happens in the world when we see a lot of crookedness or a lot of darkness around us, the church many times gets stung by the darkness, and then they start trying to work life. And so you'll see a big uptick in deliverance ministries where every believer has some demon, and we got to deliver them, okay? You have the Holy Spirit. That's what you have. The church needs to be delivered from thinking every believer needs to be delivered all the time, okay? That's the kind of deliverance we're in need of. That's a healing. Okay, (laughs) you can be delivered from a lie that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That would be a healing. Okay, the lie being sent away from you and your heart being filled with the knowledge of the truth revealed in Jesus Christ. That would be a healing. Your flesh could be put to rest from its own labors to try and gather life and satisfaction and comfort and peace and joy. Your flesh could be put to rest from that. That's a healing. If your flesh is laboring for life, it's it's sick. That's a sick flesh that's laboring for life. And so if your flesh can be put to rest, that would be a healing. Your life can be healed from the works of the flesh, right? If you're filled with hatred or envy or gossiping and backbiting and you're delivered from that, that's a healing, okay? You guys following me so far? You can get a physical healing. And if there's different, there's different levels of looking at the, a physical healing. If we look at Jesus, Jesus is the Word made flesh concerning physical healing and what it's really all about. So first and foremost, when we think of a physical healing, we want to see in Jesus that healing is for your flesh to be healed from mortality. Right? That's what healing, first and foremost, in the physical body would be. Jesus was healed from the body of death. When he was on the cross, he was clothed in death, and then he came out of the grave in a flesh that had been healed from death. Okay? On the last day, when we're raised from the dead, our physical bodies will be healed from death. You see what I'm saying? Now, we partake of that healing in our hearts now because that sets us free from the fear of death. Because we know we have a life that can't die, and we have a life that will even remove this death from our bodies. And we'll live forever with the Lord in a glorified earth, in glorified bodies that can never die, that can never feel weakness, that can never be tempted ever again. That's a healing, right? So Jesus' flesh was healed from sin and death. He put off the kind of flesh that could be corrupted by sin, and he was clothed in incorruptible flesh. He was healed. And then from there, We can have other physical healings that are signs pointing to that. And those physical healings could be in the sense of an injury being healed, a broken bone, a broken leg, a a hurt back, um, a, a blind eye, right? And then you could also have physical healings that are pointing to the healing of the flesh in the sense of a cancer being healed or in the sense of... Um, a breathing problem being healed, an asthma or something being healed. Shelly Venturella that isn't here today. And you guys keep Shelly and her family in your prayers because her sweet, sweet mother, Lynn, just passed away. And uh, we, I know we talk about the patriarchy a lot now in our society. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I tend to think it's much more matriarchal, you know. And I don't mean that in a negative way. But many times the mother and the family really has held the thing together, right, in a lot of different ways. And so Shelly's mom was that kind of a way, that there was a sweetness, a kindness, a love inside of her, a comfort that kind of kept the whole thing, you know, together. And so they, they, it's a big loss for them, for her to be gone, for all of them. And so if you could just keep their family in your prayer, sweet, sweet Lynn, um, that would be great. But Shelly, when she come to the Lord, Right? When she was an unbeliever, she went to a church service to try and find God, and she was healed of asthma. 
like completely removed. Like she couldn't breathe, like nonstop. She's all going to the hospital all the time with asthma. And she just, she wasn't trying to get healed, right? She wasn't seeking a healing. She just went to a church service and was just like, Lord, you know, and she ended up getting healed from the asthma. So you can have that kind of a healing too. And, and I find people misunderstand me a lot when I talk about this kind of a thing. So I'm going to make a disclaimer right from the beginning to, to try and put this together. I believe there are signs and wonders and miracles. I believe that there are. Okay. I don't believe that they happened at one time and then they don't happen anymore. I don't, I don't believe that. I think that humans create that type of a logic when they don't understand why they don't see it. Right? I've learned not to judge things myself. I've learned to just talk with God about what's going on. So I believe there are signs, wonders, and miracles. I believe there are gifts of healings. Right? I lay hands on the sick when I encounter people that need prayer. I preach the gospel so the sick can be healed. And not just sick with like a, a asthma, but sick like with all the different ailments we just talked about. If someone's afraid, I preach the gospel so they can be delivered from fear. If someone's filled with lack, I preach the gospel so abundance can be born in their heart, right? I preach the gospel. I believe there are all those things, okay? But notice, this is a subtle thing, but listen, you know what the scripture says about subtlety? It says the serpent was the most subtle of all the beasts. So there's a subtlety I'm about to express here. But notice I didn't say I believe in those things. I didn't say I believe on signs and wonders and miracles. And please understand what I'm saying, because it's an important distinction. My faith is in Jesus. My faith is not in healing. Do you see the distinction? Do you see how easy those two things can start blending together? Okay, I'm gonna say, my faith is Jesus himself. I believe on Jesus for life. My treasure is Jesus and the life I see in him. My eye is single, okay? My treasure isn't in getting a healing when I walk in this world. That's not my treasure. That's not the gold, right? You guys following me? So you, if you're not, you might say, well, what do you mean by that? What I mean is I don't judge myself and whether I have life or not by if there's a sickness in my body or if I can get a healing to manifest. That's what I mean. Because if your faith is in signs, wonders, and miracles, if you're believing on signs, wonders, and miracles, then those things have become your God. And now what will happen is, is you'll judge yourself and judge your life and judge God by whether or not you see sickness in your body or whether or not you can get a healing to manifest, right? Then what will happen is, is you'll start seeking the healing and not the healer, right? And the, the, the signs, wonders, and miracles can become your God, right? Which has happened in a lot of sections of Christianity, right? Where that's what they're seeking. And then you have other sections of Christianity that look at that and say, that's not right. And they try to combat it by saying, well, then there's no signs and wonders and miracles. Both sides are wrong. It's like a pendulum swinging, right? We, something I noticed about the Bible, we can never just stop in the middle. We can never say this and that and what and, and, and bring it together. I judge myself and whether or not I have life by looking at the glorified man Jesus seated at the right hand of God. That's the only word about my life and whether I have life or not. I don't look at my life and judge it as lacking if I have a sickness. The devil would be telling you to do that. The devil would come and point at the sickness and say, are you really the child of God? Look, you don't have what you need for life. If only you can get rid of the sickness, then you can be whole. Then you could have life. That's, the, that's why it's subtle, because we know it's good to have life. And we also know it doesn't feel good to be sick. We know there's no sickness in heaven. We know there's no sickness in the body of the Lord Jesus. We know there will be no sickness in the new heaven and the new earth. So it's a very tempting thing for us to see it and then to process it. What does this mean? Does this mean something about my life? 
And so, no, I don't look at a sickness and think it means something about my life. I look at the glorified man, Jesus, and I find the testimony of my life inside of him. So whenever I wonder, do I have life or not, I don't look at my finances. I don't look at even my marriage, even though my marriage is a glorious thing. I don't look at how my little dogs are doing. I don't look at how I'm doing. I look at the body of Jesus, and I see there's no sin or death in his body. And I see I'm part of his body. Therefore, the testimony about my life is found in him and in him alone. You see? That's what I mean, that my faith is not in or on signs, wonders, and miracles. Right? I live by the knowledge of the Son of God and not the knowledge of good and evil. First John says it this way, those who have the Son have life, not those who get a physical healing have life. Okay? Do you see the difference? Those who have the Son have life, not those who can get a physical healing have life. Right? It's Christ in you that's your hope of glory, not a physical healing manifesting in you. That's your hope of glory. Do you see? Okay, it's a subtle distinction, but it's, it's important, right? Should you have an illness manifesting in your body, it can never be a sign you lack life if you have the Lord Jesus inside of you, right? And you want to make sure that you build whatever you think about healing on top of that truth so that you're not tossed to and fro. Mark chapter 16 Verses 17 and 18. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now, now Jesus, he starts with these signs shall follow. So Jesus says healing is a sign, okay? He says healing is a sign. When you lay hands on the sick and they recover again, whether it be from a fear or whether it be from a physical infirmity, it's a sign. It's a sign of something more than the healing itself, right? You guys following that? Like a sign isn't there for the sign's sake. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, we, we know a lot about signs. We have signs everywhere, right? We probably need a sign that says the bathroom's all the way in the back and there's only one so that people aren't aghast when they get back there and they're like, oh my goodness, right? <laughs> but the point wouldn't be for the sign itself. A sign isn't something that's there for the sake of the sign itself. The sign isn't testifying of itself. The sign isn't pointing to itself. It's pointing to something else. That's why it's called a sign. It's testifying of something else. That's why it's called a sign. Now, I mean, we drive up and down the interstates around here, don't we? I mean, all of us have seen the green sign that says New Orleans, right? Or Slidell, this many miles to Slidell, this many miles to uh, New Orleans. Now, listen, as I drive by the sign, it's a strange thing. When I go by the sign, you know what I'm never thinking? I wonder how tall that sign was. I'm never thinking, what color was that sign? Was that sign green? I'm never thinking about any of that as I drive by the sign. I'm not even thinking whether it's a nice sign or it's, it's not a nice sign. My mind, You know why? My mind isn't filled with the sign. Do you know why my mind isn't filled with the sign? Because the sign is pointing to something else. And do you know what my mind is filled with? What it's pointing to. And so what's happened a lot in the body of Christ is our mind has become filled with the sign, which of healing is a sign. But then we don't see what the healing is pointing to, so our mind can be filled with what it's pointing to. We might find ourselves healed if we could see what it was pointing to, right? But we've been looking at the sign as if the sign was pointing to itself. And then we miss the power there. Right? So when I go by the sign, my mind is filled with the testimony the sign is given. Let's say the sign says 30 miles to New Orleans or 30 miles to Slidell. Right? You know what I'm thinking when I see that sign? You know what my mind is filled with? It isn't the sign. It's that Slidell's real close. Home is real close. That's what I start thinking of. And, you know, maybe I've been on a long drive. 
And so maybe like my rear end, is, you ever have to swaddle back and forth on your rear end? Listen, when I was 18, I drove back and forth from Colorado nonstop, and I never had that problem. But now I'm like in the car for like three hours, and i got to switch from, from this cheek to that cheek, and I'm constantly leaning, and I'm leaning. And so maybe I see this sign that says slide out 30 miles, and maybe I've been on a, long, on a long trip. And my mind, you know what my mind is thinking? It's not thinking, well, what, how tall was that sign? Is the sign green? No, because the sign isn't pointing to itself. You know what my mind is thinking? It's 30 miles to home. Home is real close. That's immediately what I'm thinking of. You know, I could even feel some relief from the testimony that the sign is giving. Because I can see I'm almost home. I'm almost there. Now, you know, the sign isn't the relief itself. The sign isn't the hope. The sign is pointing to something that gives me relief. The sign points to something that gives me a certainty I'm almost home. You see, but the sign is ministering something to me. And what it's ministering to me is not itself. You guys following that? So what is healing a sign of? What is it pointing to? Because I promise you, it's what it's pointing to that's full of the power. It's what it's pointing to that means something to us. It's what it's pointing to that we want to be engaged with. Okay? That's what we want to be engaged with. We'll look at Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read a bunch of verses. And I'm gonna, we're going to do this a bunch of times. But this, this is Acts chapter 2, verse 16. Peter didn't have YouTube. Paul didn't have YouTube. But you know what? This is a recording of Peter preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 2 when it is first being formed. And we'll read a bunch of these verses. This is Peter talking. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. This is one of the parts we're going to focus on. And it shall come to pass that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the sign? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, will be healed, will be delivered, will be comforted. Okay? Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David speaks concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because you will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption, You have made known to me the ways of life. You have made, that's another part we're going to focus on. You have made known to me the ways of life. Through what? Through Jesus and the signs and the wonders and the miracles and the healings he performed. You have made known to me of that through this man, Jesus. You shall make full, you shall make me full of joy with thy continence. Okay. So there's a lot you could say about all that, but I'm going to try and focus in on the, the, the point we're on and what, it, what Peter's saying here. So Peter says, Jesus performed miracles so that everyone could see that the way unto life was to call upon the name of the Lord. That's what he says. Jesus manifested life. That's what it would be 
if someone was healed from an infirmity in their body or deliverance from a lie or a spirit, it would be the manifestation of life. Jesus manifested life in these people and healed them so that people would call upon the name of the Lord for life. That's why he did it. Now, calling upon the name of the Lord is an interesting phrase in the Greek. It's not just like this super spiritual theological thing. Call upon the name of the Lord. It has a deeply personal and intimate relationship in mind. So when you look at the Greek, calling upon the name of the Lord means to allow God to surname you. It means you allow God to surname you. Do you know what it means to be surnamed? I know we're not in like uh, King Arthur's day. Part of the family is a good way of saying it. To be surnamed on your birth certificate when your father signs the birth certificate. He signs it, and by him signing it, he's surnaming you. Exactly. He's claiming you as his own. When he claims you as his own, the reason why he comes and signs his name on the birth certificate is because he's claiming you as his own. And the reason why he's claiming you as his own is he's taking the responsibility of your life onto himself. He's bearing the responsibility of your life and your life being cared for and your life being brought forth in safety and comfort. He's bearing that upon the shoulders of his own life. That's what it declares. That's what it means. And so Peter says, the miracles Jesus performed, he says it was God in their midst that was performing the miracles through Jesus. And he says the reason he was performing the miracles through Jesus, the healing miracles were not testifying of themselves. They were a sign that God was there himself to claim you as his own. And it wasn't just a sign he was there to claim you as as his own. They were a sign that God was taking the burden of bringing forth life in you onto himself. You need life? I have life in myself. And here I am to manifest that life in you so that you will see that I'm with you to be the father that you need. So the point of the miracles that Jesus performed, the point of the healings, The point was that in seeing God with you, lifting the burden of sin and death off of you, lifting the burden of sin and death off of your shoulders and serving you with his life, because that's why the healing would happen. It would be that God manifested life in you. It would be a sign of God giving you his life because his life is the only life that can overcome sin and death. And so the healing was a sign of God lifting off the burden of sin and death off of your shoulders and him serving you with his life so that your sight would be healed and you would turn away from living as orphans, carrying the weight of perfecting your own life from sin and death, and you cast the care of your life into the hands of the Father, just as Jesus did on the cross. That was the point. You guys following that? I think it's Matthew chapter 13, verse 15. It says, hearing they don't hear or their eyes haven't seen, lest they be converted, lest they come to me and be converted and I heal them. Do you see the point? You know what conversion means? It doesn't mean like what we think of conversion, where we're going to go knock door to door and try to get somebody to join our religious sect. Knock, knock, knock. Conversion would mean repentance which would be to turn away from trying to find life through your own strength and commit the care of your life into the strength of God's hand, which is what the Lord Jesus did on the cross. That's the way unto life, right? You guys following that so far? Change your view, your perspective. The point wasn't the miracles. The healing itself couldn't make you whole. Wholeness wasn't found in the miracle. The point was to call upon the name of the Lord, and in calling upon the name of the Lord, you would then be made whole. You see? Luke 17 records an account of ten lepers. You guys know the account of the ten lepers? Have mercy on us, thou son of David. And Jesus, they're all cleansed, it says. When Jesus heals the ten lepers, it was a sign from heaven 
And that sign from heaven was meant to cause them to call upon the name of the Lord. Right? The cleansing of the leprosy wasn't, that could never make them whole. The cleansing of the leprosy would be a sign that God is with them to be the father that they need. And then they would call upon the name of the Lord. And in calling upon the name of the Lord, in casting the care of their life into the hands of the Lord, that would make them whole. Do you know how we know this? Because Jesus cleanses all ten of the lepers, but nine of them go away. And one, it says one comes to Jesus glorifying God. Do you know what it means to glorify God? Glorify God equals call upon the name of the Lord. You declare him as the giver of life. You declare him as having a life in himself that can heal you from death in the flesh. And you would commit your desire to have your life saved from sin and death into his hands. That's what it means to glorify God. But only one came and glorified God, not all nine. And Jesus says, where are the other nine? Weren't there ten of you? And he says, your faith has made you whole. Guess what? The other nine weren't made whole. Because their leprosy being cleansed from their flesh could never make them whole. That was only a sign to point them to the Father who has a life that can make them whole. So even though they had their leprosy cleansed from their flesh, they were still dead in sin. You guys following? Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. We're talking about what the signs are pointing to. That's what we need to be connecting with. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their face, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? Which be easier? This is, listen, guys, this is not just stuff to gloss over. There is significant meaning to what he says here. For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk? Would you have it a problem if I would have said rise up and walk? Or is your problem only because I said your sins are forgiven you? Jesus could have easily just have said rise up and walk. But if he would have just said, rise up and walk, it wouldn't have testified of the thing that can heal you. And so listen what Jesus says. This is why I healed him. That you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up your bed and go into your house. And he arose and departed to his house. And when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto man. You see that? People are going to misunderstand a lot of things that I say, and I'm going to try to keep wrapping it up, right? And, and trying to take into account when you might understand, misunderstand an answer. Jesus wasn't healing this guy just so he'd be able to walk again. Life and death isn't found in being able to walk. Life and death is found in whether you have the Son or whether you don't have the Son. It's a nice thing he healed this guy's legs. And so we're not forsaking that, but we don't want that to become the thing that sticks out because it's a sign. And we want to, to be looking at what it's a sign of. If that was the point to heal this guy from walking, Jesus, if, he, if it was just the point was to heal his legs, Jesus could have just said, rise up and walk and been on his way. If that was the point. And then Jesus tells us what the point of him healing this guy was. He tells us why he did it. This is why he did it. For you to know the son of man has power on earth to forgive sin. That's why I did it. Now, the Son of Man is, is talking about Daniel, and it's talking about Messiah. It's not talking about every man, although he has given us the keys to heaven, and we can bind death in the earth, and we can loose life in the earth by preaching the gospel. We are witnesses of the resurrection. We are witnesses of a life that overcomes death in the flesh, and the sick can be healed and can recover as we preach that gospel, as we preach the forgiveness of sin. 
The point of me healing this guy was that you would know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin. Now listen, this upsets our Western theology because we've been steeped in Western theology. And a lot of people don't even know there's a whole Eastern Orthodox church that does not believe in any of the theology we've been taught. People that have died for the faith. People that have been tortured for the faith. That love the Lord Jesus. They, they haven't been taught these things. So this might upset some of your theology, some of you that listen to me for the first time. That you might know the Son of Man has power to forgive sin. The power is not the power to not be angry anymore over your sin. Because that's what we think about the word forgiveness, isn't it? Someone's angry because you'd sinned, and now they're not angry anymore. That's not the power Jesus is talking about. It's not the Son of Man has power to accept your apology. <laughs> that's not what he's talking about there. And when he uses the word sin, he ain't talking about your bad behavior. When he uses the word sin, he's talking about the death and the destruction that has come upon this man's life because of the sin that entered the earth by one man, Adam. That you might know the Son of Man has power to divorce your life from the destruction that's come upon you because one man, Adam, brought death into the earth. That's what he's talking about. So what is the power? We just touched on it. But if you connect the Gospels, you connect all the thoughts in the Gospels, Jesus says something profound in John's Gospel. Do you know what he says? The Father has life in himself. And he says, the Father has given that I would have that same life in myself. That's the power, life. Not any kind of life, the life the Father has in himself. That kind of a life. Only God can forgive sin. That's why they were so upset with Jesus. That's why they were so upset with him saying, your sin has forgiven you. Because only God can do that. And so when Jesus says that you might know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin, it was carrying a very heavy implication. What he was saying is that you might know that I've come from above. And that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the power I have is that there's a life in me that can even lift off the burden of sin and death from your life. There's a life in me that can even heal your flesh from death. That you might know. That's why he healed the lame man, that we would know he come from above and he has a life in himself that has the ability to remove the death that was reigning over our lives. Because that's what we need. We need to be saved from death. Right? So Jesus healed the lame man so we would believe on him for the forgiveness of sin, for the passing over of death for the sending away from us of the body of death, for the divorcing of your life from death. That's why he healed the lame guy. Not so you could believe on him, so you can get your legs healed. Do you see? That doesn't mean you can't get your legs healed. That doesn't mean that they won't be healed. But I promise you, the way they'll be healed is by seeing what the sign was pointing to, not by thinking the sign is pointing to itself. Matthew chapter 8, there's many verses like this, and they're all talking about the sign that they're pointing to. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. You know something I find about the ministry God has given this body? Man, we're always building everything on the foundation that's Christ and Him crucified, and we're always coming and, and, and making straight the things that have been built on something like wood, hay, and stubble. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When He was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed Him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus doesn't, okay, go off and rejoice. That was the point. I've done my work here. Listen to what Jesus goes on to say. And Jesus says to him, don't tell anyone, but go your way. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. For a testimony. So Jesus is like, I healed your leprosy, but that's about to testify of something. You want to start asking yourself, what does it testify of? What's the testimony? Right? That's what I want to be busy with when I think of healing. What is the testimony? Okay? So Jesus tells this guy, go show yourself to the priest. 
and give the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony. You know, there hadn't been a single Jewish guy ever healed of leprosy before Jesus healed that guy. There's one guy in the Old Testament. I think it's Naaman. He wasn't Jewish. And so Leviticus talks about a gift you would offer if you were healed by leprosy, a Jewish guy. But there had never been a Jewish guy healed from leprosy. You can read their oral tradition in the Talmud. Do you know what they all said about why no God person, no Jewish person ever healed from leprosy? Because only Messiah can do that. And when Messiah comes and heals someone from leprosy, it's a sign that the kingdom of God is drawn near. And so Jesus comes and heals this Jewish guy from leprosy. And he says, go and show yourself to the priest and offer the thing that Leviticus says to offer. Not because you need to make the offering, but so it can be a testimony to the people that you've been healed from leprosy. Right? Jesus was after a far greater weight of glory than healing that guy from his leprosy. And he's not indifferent to what can cause us suffering. He's not indifferent to that. Of course, Jesus is moved with compassion for this guy's suffering and for our suffering. With, with that being said, we have to understand, Jesus understood a big part of this guy's suffering came from him thinking the leprosy was a sign he was forsaken by God. In the first century, and even before Jesus' day, if you had leprosy, if you had an issue of blood, if you had some sickness in your body, you were deemed to be the forsaken of God. That the only way that could happen to you is if God despised you because of your sin. You ever had something happen in your life that wasn't good, a, a sickness? Have you ever had the thought come to you that you must have done something that God's not happy with? Where do you think that comes from? I promise it don't come from you. That was, they, th they saw the sickness as a sign God isn't here. I'm abandoned and I'm all alone. And that's what would have been causing this person to suffer the most. The woman with the issue of blood. If you've ever seen The Chosen, and I'm not trying to do a commercial for The Chosen, right? The Chosen is not the gospel, but The Chosen can bring out some pictures in the gospel. We don't have to be so legalistic, right? And you don't have to agree with everything that's there to take something from it. But the woman with the issue of blood, they did a great job of bringing out what her life would have been like. She would have no longer been able to go into a synagogue for prayer. She would have no longer been able to go to family gatherings. She wouldn't have been able to participate in any of the feast days. She would have never been able to go into the town square and just buy food, just be around anyone, just be with people. She would have been forsaken, cast off. In fact, they would have judged her punishable by death if she even tried to come to any of that. And the reason why is because they misread the law of Moses and thought it was a sign that God despised the woman. And so this guy with the leprosy is busy thinking, God has forsaken me. Look at what's happened to my life. Look at this sickness that's manifested in my body. Doesn't God love me? Have any of you ever thought, doesn't God love me when you're struggling with something? How could this be happening if he loves me? It must be because of some sin. I must have done something wrong. And then through our carnal reasoning, we try to add in all types of conclusions to try to explain it. Maybe my great-grandfather did something wrong. And now there's a curse upon me. So Jesus understood this guy with the leprosy was suffering, thinking he was rejected and forsaken by God, right? So when Jesus healed the guy, it was a testimony. You know what he was declaring to this guy who'd been rejected by everybody and thought he was rejected by God? Do you know what he was saying to him? God receives you. You are loved and received by God. That's what he was trying to tell the guy. He was declaring, God is not ashamed to call you son. God is not ashamed to draw near to you. In fact, God is drawing near to you right now to save you from sin and death. In fact, that's why Jesus would come and say the kingdom has come. Heaven is invading the earth. You know what that means? That means God is invading the earth. And do you know why God invades the earth? I don't know if you guys realize that God invades the earth to receive you into himself. He invades the earth to heal you from sin and death. And so it's a clear sign. Messiah has come that Jesus healed the leprosy. And that's a sign that the kingdom of God has come. Leprosy meant that your flesh was dying. It was a sign of death in the flesh. I mean, leprosy, they had leprosy camps. 
Probably cancer is more prevalent in our society than leprosy. But I promise you, if you're dealing with some type of physical infirmity, it's trying to tell you something. It's trying to speak to you. And I promise you, it's boasting against the knowledge of God. It's trying to convince you you're forsaken and you're not loved. That the kingdom of God is not near. That the kingdom of God is not in you. So the, the leprosy that was a sign of death in the flesh, the healing of the leprosy was part of the judgment Jesus came declaring. The healing of the, the leprosy testified the kingdom of God is drawn near to you. Heaven has invaded the earth with a life that can even cleanse your body from the defilement of death. The Father's will is to give you life in the way that you inherit the kingdom of God and the life that reigns in the kingdom of God is found in believing on Jesus. Not believing on the sign, believing on Jesus. You see? That doesn't mean you can't get a sign. It doesn't mean you can't get a healing. But I promise you, you could get a healing today and end up in the grave and not come out of the grave. And have you been made whole? No. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I promise you this. Do you see Lazarus anywhere here today? Well, he ended up dying at some point. So the point wasn't that Jesus raised that guy from the dead. The point was he is the resurrection and the life. In him is a life that can even conquer death in the flesh. Don't believe on the kind of resurrection that I did with Lazarus. Believe on me. I mean, there's a, a famous uh, charismatic preacher named Smith Wigglesworth. Some of you might have heard of this guy. I'm not teaching his theology, but there's funny pictures. Can we just have mercy on one another as believers? You know, some of us are just trying to figure God out. And along the way, some of us get stuff wrong. Does that now mean that they're the devil? So let's learn from one another and take the beautiful pictures. But Smith Wigglesworth, he, he was purported to have a powerful healing ministry. Right? And one of the funny pictures that's recorded is that he raised his wife from the dead three times. The third time she said, if you do that one more time. Listen, man, should the Lord tarry and I pass away from this world before, before the Lord Jesus comes, my wife and I, they have things in your will. Do not resuscitate. I told Becky, do not raise me from the dead. Because life isn't found in whether you bring me back here. But you've got to raise them from the dead. What do you think? They want to be raised from the dead? So you're raising them from the dead for their benefit or for your own? Jesus wasn't raising Lazarus from the dead so he could have a full life in the world. That's worldly thinking. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead so people could see that even death bows down to the life he has in himself. So people would believe on him. Right? In John 9, and we're almost done. I just want to keep hammering this so we can get a good foundation for how we're thinking about healing. In John 9, Jesus heals a blind guy. And then, right after he heals the blind guy, you know what he says? He said that he came into the earth to reveal those, those who think they see that they're actually blind. And to restore sight to those who are blind. Now, was Jesus talking about natural sight there? Or was he talking about enlightening the eyes of our understanding? Because Paul prayed that our natural sight would be healed. No, he prayed that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. So Jesus wasn't talking about natural sight when he said he came to, make, to reveal those who think they see are blind and to give sight to those who were blind. The point of Jesus healing that guy's blindness wasn't only for his natural sight to be restored. It was about the eyes of his understanding being enlightened. It was about him, like you said, his perspective changing and him not thinking that he was blind because he was cast away by God. Look what the disciples came to him. Who sinned that this man was born blind? Him or his parents? Jesus, don't even entertain that. He said, neither, but that you might know that God is with you to work, to serve you with life. And then he healed the guy's blindness. 
And so Jesus was trying to enlighten the eyes of their understanding. He was trying to reveal God with them to serve them with life. God with them to lift the heavy burden of sin and death off their shoulders. God with them to serve them with the life that can't die. God with them to give them a life that can even heal death in the flesh. God with them to give them a life that can even remove the body of death and the body of corruption far away from them. God with them to even clothe them in glorified immortal flesh. God with them to give them an earth that doesn't need to be protected from death and darkness. God with them to divorce this earth from death and darkness and give them a glorified earth where there's no sin and death anywhere and there can never be any sin and death ever again. So that you would believe on him because that's what we all want. Why does it bother us that the earth has gone into corruption today? Because we want an earth where there is no corruption. Well, if you want an earth where there is no corruption, there's good news for you. Jesus has reconciled the world back unto himself, back unto God through the body of his death and his resurrection. And now if you want this earth to be cleansed from corruption, call upon the name of the Lord because it's his good pleasure to give you an earth that he cleanses from death when the Lord Jesus comes back. Later on, Jesus comes to the blind guy again. And does he say, well, what's it like having your natural sight back? Does he come and say, has your life been better since I last saw you? That's what he would say if that's what it was all about. You know what Jesus asked the guy later in the chapter? Have you believed on the son of God? Did you see what this was actually all about? Because he goes on to say in other places, seeing they don't see and hearing they don't hear. The nine lepers, seeing they didn't see, hearing they didn't hear. And they went off. <laughs> have you believed on the Son of God? He wasn't asking, have you believed that I can heal you from natural blindness? Jesus is asking him if he believed God was with him to serve him with a life that superabounds over sin and death. That's what Jesus was asking him. Wonderful for someone's physical eyes to be healed. But it pales in comparison to the glory of the eyes of their understanding being enlightened and them being rooted and grounded in the love of God. Right? Speaking of Abraham, Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 19 through 21, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't consider those things. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. And here's the part that's connecting with Abraham. Giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. So Paul says Abraham glorified God. That means to call upon the name of the Lord, right? You know, the birth of Isaac was a powerful miracle. You ever seen a hundred-year-old dude father a child? <laughs> How about a woman that had been barren and not able to have a child in her youth? I mean, Sarah even laughed. Shall I now have pleasure in my old age? <laughs> I mean, some of you would laugh if I come and told you, you will conceive a child, and you shall call his name Isaac. I mean, if I come and tell my mom that, I mean, my mom believes I'm preaching the gospel, but she might think I've gone a little loopy. She could start thinking, well, no, I've had procedures. That's it. <laughs> you know, I've got five. That's it. <laughs> and so that was a powerful hearing miracle in Sarah's, in Sarah's womb that happened. Now, did, did, when it says Abraham glorified God, did Abraham glorify God because Sarah, was her womb was healed and she bore him a son? Is that why Abraham glorified God? Was the point that now he has a son? And Sarah's womb was healed? Was that why Abraham was so happy when Isaac came forth? He already had a son. His name was Ishmael. And he loved Ishmael. Why can't Ishmael stay in the house? And so was Isaac being born? Was that Abraham's shield and buckler? Was Isaac being born? Was that Abraham's exceeding great reward? You know, if Abraham saw it that way, he would have spent all his days walking after the strength of the flesh trying to preserve his name in Isaac. He would have had a heavy burden on him trying to keep his lineage going, if that's what he thought. This, this will mess people up, but it ties in. Abraham's faith wasn't in Isaac. Abraham's faith wasn't in Isaac being born. His faith wasn't that Sarah's womb was healed. 
He didn't look to Isaac for life, and he didn't look to Isaac for the evidence he had life. He looked to the testimony Isaac gave him. Because Isaac being born testified of something, right? Here's a guy who's dead in his flesh. You know, Abraham had, had, had Ishmael because he still had seed in himself, but Sarah's womb was barren. Well, God waits, I think, 17 years. There's 17 years in between there. God waits for Abraham's seed to dry up before now he comes and says, I am the almighty God. Right? And so Abraham was dead. In his, dead death was in his flesh. Sarah's death was in her flesh. And so Abraham, he saw Isaac as a sign. And do you know what he saw the birth of Isaac as a sign? You know what he saw that it testified of? He saw it as a sign that God is Lord even over death. God. That's why he's Almighty God. He's got a life in himself that can even conquer the death in my body. And the birth of Isaac is a sign that testifies to that. And that's what he was rejoicing over. That's what he was happy about. That's why he glorified God. He saw the birth of Isaac as a sign that God will provide himself a lamb and cause this death to pass over me because he saw the birth of Isaac as a testimony of the promised seed. Jesus is the promised seed. And he saw the birth of Isaac testifying of God sending a lamb that would cause death to pass over him and raise him up into glorified immortal flesh, removing death from his body. That's what he saw it as a sign of. You know, the scripture doesn't say Abraham rejoiced over Isaac's day. Do you, do you know what it says? Jesus said this. He said Abraham saw Isaac's day and rejoiced. No, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Abraham saw Jesus' day in Isaac. And so Abraham saw something in Isaac that testified of Jesus and how Jesus would come and abolish sin and death in the flesh. Abraham saw Isaac as a sign that Jesus would come and overcome deadness in his flesh and raise him up unto glorified immortal flesh. And of course, that's the testimony that God loves you. He conquered death. That's the evidence he loves you. You know why you conquer someone's death that's dying? Well, they have to first be dying. Otherwise, they don't need their death to be conquered. And you know why you come and conquer their death? Because you don't want them to die. And you know why you don't want them to die? Because you love them. And you don't love them because of what they can do for you. You love them because they do something for you when you see them. Right? That's right. You see yourself in it. He saw himself in us. So, in light of all that, which I wanted to hammer that. What shall we say about all those things? Does all that mean there's no gifts of healing? Does all that mean there's no value in getting a physical healing? No. Does, does any of that mean that we won't be healed or we can't be healed? Certainly not. This is what it means. I'm going to say this slow a couple of times. And we're going to keep building on this the next few weeks. We're going to keep sitting with this and connecting all the dots. What it means is we seek the truth and the life that is the power behind the healing. That's what it means. We seek that which the healing is pointing to, not the healing itself. It means we set our eyes on that which heals, not the healing. <laughs> so when we think of healing... We want to connect with God around the truth of what the healing is a testimony of. And that's where we will find ourselves receiving strength. That's where we'll find ourselves, right? Partaking of the wholeness we have in the Lord Jesus, right? And that we don't put what can happen inside of us as we do that in a box. Because God can even raise the dead. You see what I'm saying? You guys following that? Does that make sense? You guys, I tried to lay it out a bunch of different ways, but the same way. So we could sit and see, right? And so as we stop and dissect some of this stuff and crack it open, don't lose sight of the simple truth that all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to Jesus. The power of sin and death has been bound in his body and eternal life has been loosed in us. Don't lose sight of that simple truth, right? By this man, Jesus, 
your fellowship with sin and death and the life sin and death has fathered in this earth has been destroyed. And that's what you want to be talking about when a sickness is trying to tell you that you're one with sickness. Because that's what it's trying to say. You see it in your body. And it's trying to tell you that your life is intertwined with it instead of intertwined with God through the body of Jesus. Right? We have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We have been given the life that binds death in the flesh and looses an incorruptible life in the flesh. Right? We'll just pray. Thank you, Father, for cleansing us from the defilement of death. Lord, we see Jesus. We see you've removed the reign of death from over our lives. We see you remove the reign of sin from over our lives. We cast the care of our lives into your hand. Thank you for stretching forth your hand towards us. Thank you for binding death in the body of Jesus. Thank you for loosing your life in us through the body of Jesus' resurrection. In the name of Jesus, you are whole. In the name of Jesus, that which stands opposed to your life, be far removed from you. In the name of Jesus, every spot and blemish has tried to come upon your life. Be washed away. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Glory to God. Y'all are awesome. Thank you for letting me get that out. That's part one. We're going to keep building on it. Next week, we're going to start talking about how the signs can be corrupted and how Satan, Satan never uses something evil. He comes and tries to get something good, and he uses that to try to corrupt it in our midst. And so we'll talk about how he does that and the way sickness tries to boast itself against God, right? And so we'll, we'll, we'll keep building on it. It'll be good. Thank you, Jesus. If anybody needs prayer, I'm happy to lay hands on you and pray.